Pod, 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 Pod. Rugby Pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Ryan. Big Jim and Gertie are with me as usual. It's a massive week as we look ahead to the start of the Guinness Six Nations. So we'll be joined by Wales captain Dan Bigger to preview their game against Ireland. We'll also be previewing the Calcutta Cup clash in Edinburgh and looking back at some of the Premiership and URC action. So settle back, relax and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear. Especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com. Slash Simmons. How are we, lads? Excited. Very, very excited. And I'm not going to pull you up on something too quickly, Andy Rowe, but I am. Because you just said it's a start of a massive week as we look forward to the Six Nations. Sod the Six Nations until the weekend. We are hitting Dublin on Wednesday night. We are hitting Edinburgh on Thursday night. And I am just elated to get out there. Drink a load of Guinness responsibly with Jim Hamilton, with Black Current in, in Dublin. Yes, I will be doing that. And just having a good time. Honesty call, it might not be that responsible night one. <laughs> I can't remember being this thirsty, lads. I cannot. <laughs> I can't even remember being this thirsty. I don't know why. Well, I do know why. We've been locked up and I know we've been out now and again, but it just feels like freedom. It just feels, I can feel it. And Andrew, we spoke on the phone today. I love this. I don't know whether other lads do this. Girls probably do it as well. About the looseness of the night. So I'm trying to get a gauge on where we are on Dublin. Are we on the rickshaw, which means we're heading somewhere and it's loose? Or are we walking and it's just 10 or 15 responsibly? Because we've got Edinburgh on the Thursday. So what you don't want to do is blow a gasket. You know what I mean? You don't want to... Oh, I do. I do. You don't want to pop another, do you? That's... (laughs) So it's one of them where Wednesday could be big. Thursday's going to be bigger. Friday, you're feeling sorry for yourself, but we've got an event at the Balmoral in Edinburgh on Friday night as well. And you've got to deliver on all these points. It's not just about us. It's about delivering to the masses. And we will. We will do that. But this is more selfishly, me and Andrew have been going through the process on the phone about rickshaw to not rickshaw. Edinburgh, 10, 20, 30, 40, 6 a.m., 3 a.m., like what time? (laughs) And trousers, trues, or kilts. There's a lot of admin to get through. 
I did book the wrong flight as well. I put it out there. I, it was Tuesday that I booked, then Wednesday. And I might need to book an earlier one on Wednesday because I've got my timings. But I'll be where I need to be is all I'm saying. And Goody, you maybe put it out to the masses here because people will come back to you on the question that you asked me so you know that I'm not stitching you up. I'll, I'll ask the question. Or do you want to ask the question? What's the question? About Edinburgh attire. Well, we've got this dinner on Friday and obviously there's going to be a load of Scotsmen there wearing skirts. I just, I don't get it. Uh, you know, it's black tie slash bring a skirt, put your nan's curtains around your th- waist or whatever. So I've got some tartan trousers, or as Jim says, some tartan trues. Because apparently you don't say trousers or trousers. You, you can't finish the word off. But anyway, I was trying to work out, is it offensive for an Englishman to wear tartan trousers to a black tie event? Some people might think I'm taking the pish. Other people might just think, what a clown. Either way, I don't care. I'm going with an apology. To that dinner on Friday night, I am going with a humble apology for making Scotland so shit over the last 15 years because I told Jim Hamilton to play for Scotland. The rules are, or the laws, Andrew, however you look at it, the consensus, the in-house agreement is that if you're wearing a kilt and you're not Scottish, you need to wear your pants or your boxers or whatever you wear, unless you're hung like Melikai Fekatoa, then you don't want to be sweeping the floors, do you see? You're wearing your pants either way, if you're not Scottish. So I think that that is the rule of thumb, the consensus. And I've seen your bits. I mean, you're fine. Just get some pants on. So if you do want to wear a kilt, get your pants or your boxers on because you'll get whipped up. I ain't wearing a skirt. I'm not putting... It's a kilt. You can't say that. Are you going to bring a skin do or not? What's a skin do? A, back, a bum bag? What do you mean? No, that's not a bum bag. That's a sporran. <laughs> a skin do is a knife in your sock in case it kicks. Off. I ain't going. It ain't kicking off where I'm going. It's not a night out in Covpal. There's no need for a knife. But you're Andy Good in Scotland, in Edinburgh. That's the issue here. It isn't like it wouldn't normally kick off, but fans are in the street kicking off with me because they thought I was crap for Scotland. I'm getting called out. <laughs> if you're coming up to Scotland, you're going to get called out for abusing Scotland. So I'm just yeah. saying, if I was you. I'd wear a skirt or a kilt with your pants with a skin do because if you're wearing trues and you've got a knife in your pocket, you'll get arrested. But if you've got a kilt on, you'll be fine. Last time we were in Edinburgh for a live show before the Calcutta Cup, Jim, you almost killed a guy. (laughs) I remember, actually, yeah. I did. I don't want to look back too much on that. Well, firstly, you almost killed the room, Andy Rowe, because you had your bagpipes and... (laughs) It sounded like four pigeons had got caught in the pipes. So, firstly... You killed the room, and then what we tried to do was have interaction with the crowd. It was at the Three Sisters, big shout-out to the Three Sisters, and it was banging. They knew they were getting the Phil Godman story, so they come out in their droves, including Phil Godman's brother-in-law and uncle and sisters and dad, and they weren't happy. But anyway, I've called a man to the stage. There was women as well, but there was a lot of men. I called the man to the stage and said, who's going to hold Andy Rowe's notes for the bagpipes? Because he doesn't know it off by art to play Flower of Scotland to pipe John Barkley in. And as we brought the guy up, I said, geez, mate, you're a bit old. Make sure you don't die on the way up or something ridiculous like that. Lads, lads, lads. I think you said you're pretty close close to death's door. This could be the greatest and last night of your life. That's what I said. (laughs) That is actually what I said. You contextualize it right. That's what I said. I said, get up on stage. This is the greatest night of your life and arguably one of the last things you'll do. Because he was a bit old, but it's obviously tongue-in-cheek. As he's walked up to the stage, he's tripped over one of the wires or... I mean, we're rock and roll, so there's a lot of wires up on stage. And face-planted, there's glass gone everywhere. And we're thinking, 
someone find the defib, someone find something <laughs> because this man has gone down in Chinatown. Luckily, he didn't. And I'm sure he'll be there at the next live show. But yeah, that's when times were good. And you can hear the excitement in all our voices. Andy Rowe, apart from you, who's stuck mm. in a hotel in New Zealand watching people out the window, but that's the price you pay for love and marriage. But me and Goody, we are buzzing to get to Dublin on Wednesday, get to Edinburgh on Thursday. And let's be honest, we're going to be in a bit of a hole come Saturday night. So a bit of hibernation, ready for the, the podcast on Monday and London next week. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting. So normally on a Monday after the weekend that I've had, I'd be moaning about how tired I am because I was busy all weekend. Down at Bath on Friday for BT Sports. Saturday, I've got to give a massive shout out to Andover Rugby Club. Uh, I was speaking at their dinner on Saturday night. Great bunch of lads, apart from 007, who's the first team fly half. Absolute belter of a bloke. And he's called 007. Rich Retallick, I'm going to name drop him as well. They call him 007 because that's his kicking stats. Zero conversions, zero penalties from seven attempts. So he got absolutely buried all night. But Andover Rugby Club, great bunch of lads. And there's a few of them coming to a live show towards the end of the season. So um, and they made me look slim as well, James. Yes, they did. Some big old units in that team. And I felt good about myself. They enjoyed my speech. They messaged me the next day and had a good time with them. So yeah, big shout out to those boys. And then Sunday... Where was I, James? Well, we know where you were because you put it all over social media. You were in a car somewhere tweeting about how people were sending nice messages because you were in a good mood because Wasps beat the Mighty Saracens just. I was at the Andy Goode suite at the Coventry Building Society Arena. It wasn't just, James. It was basically a 50-point absolute hammering. So uh, a great day. But I'm still waiting. You didn't respond on social media, James. You didn't respond to my tweet saying, hello, Jim Hamilton. I've not seen it, I don't think, have I? Yeah, it's the picture with the result with Malachi Fekato now and his piece. Nah, not seen that. Yeah, there we no, go. Not seen that. So how was your weekend, Jim? Well, I made it to Wales, is all I'm saying. I was commentating on the URC for the big one, Ospreys versus hashtag always Edinburgh. And as we know, there was a Storm Catherine or Katrina or Kelly or Steve or Bob. I mean, I don't know who it was, but there was a couple of storms at the weekend. And I've taken off on Saturday morning, early doors, commitment to the cause, to land in Bristol's third attempt, first to second, he couldn't get done. He couldn't touch it down to the point where I'm thinking, like, I'm multilingual, well-travelled, smart guy, athletic. I'm going to have to land this fucking plane. Deluded. Well, I was like, if, if he ain't going to land it, then someone needs to step up. So I was about to <laughs> land a plane. And luckily, he got it down on the third attempt. But oh, my turbulence and oh, my wind. And Bristol to Swansea, I thought was 50 minutes. It wasn't. It was about an hour and 50 to two hours. But yeah, commentated on the the game and we did a double whammy. My point being, it was nice to be working. It was also nice to be in Wales as well. So we can get onto the rugby, I'm sure. But that's about it. Nothing more for you. We'll have a chat about the action on the pitch in a minute. But uh, first of all, there's been quite a few stories off the field in the past week. Let's start with Mark McCall taking a break from his role as Saracens DOR for medical reasons, Jim. Can you tell us more about what's going on there? I can't say too much. It's not my place, is it, to say what's happened to Mark. I do know that he's okay. I messaged him. He messaged back. Not that that is meaning that he's absolutely fine. But the fact that he replied means that he's himself to reply to me. But from what I'm hearing, I think he'd be slightly embarrassed by all the attention around him. I don't think it's as serious as it could have been. And as we know, everything's out there in the media. It's not for me to say Uh, what issue that he's got. But I think all the hysteria around him, knowing Mark McCall and speaking to a couple of my mates involved, he'll be slightly embarrassed by what's going on, just the character that he is, because he doesn't want the attention about him. But as we know, you know, health 
is everything. Health is wealth, as they say. And sometimes when stuff like this happens and we're talking about rugby and we're having a crack and there's stuff going on and stuff like this happens, it shocks you, doesn't it? Because it just puts the the brakes on a little bit. So, you know, as regardless of what team you support, I think we're all wishing Mark McCall well. He's, he's a good bloke. He's a healthy bloke. And yeah, there's obviously a lot going on the last few years. Saracens are coming through that and he's a big part of that. So we wish him well and hopefully it won't be too long until we see him holding the fort again. Yeah, certainly do. Mark, I know he's a big listener of the podcast as well, isn't he, Jim? So He is. We all wish him well here from the pod and uh, hopefully we will see him back as soon as possible, but fit and healthy. And it's been a change at Worcester as well. Steve Diamond's taken over from Jonathan Thomas leaving the club. What's going on there, guys? Well, it's a classic case of bring someone in to do a consultancy role. It's happened before. And that person that's coming to do the consultancy has ended up with a top job. So, yeah, Dimes, listen, you know, JT's a friend of mine. He's a good guy. From what I understand, it's kind of, he's been pushed out the door. You know, and we'll see what comes of it. Obviously, Steve Diamond has got a huge amount of experience and there's there's chat in the press at the minute that he's going straight back to his old club sale to raid that for a few players. And, you know, fair play to him. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there. Someone comes in to do a job around, you know, doing a review and looking at the club and, being a consultant to you get your feet under the table a little bit then you know you get your feet a little bit further you sit on the chair and push the guy off his chair and then you're the top dog aren't you so dimes isn't known for being that tactile at times is he so you know he's got a lot of experience something obviously he's he's spoken to the board at Worcester about his experience and, and what he can bring and they've made the decision so um these is the cards that everyone's been dealt and um you know you just hope that Steve Diamond can improve their performance because they weren't great at the weekend. I'm blaming Ashy. It's his fault, isn't it? <laughs> and really, yeah. when you look at it, whose fault is it? If, if you're going to blame someone, <laughs> you can't blame anyone but him. So what we should say, I don't know Jonathan Thomas personally, played against him, everything you hear is a top bloke. What a classy tweet that he put out. Yeah, 100%. If it's me... I'm going down in a blaze of glory. Like I am. Like I am blaming I'm blaming Ashy. If I'm tweeting as head coach, I'm being like, one, I hate dimes. I hate his dogs. I hate dogs. And it's all Ashy's fault. So fair play to him. I, I imagine he'll pop back up in Wales very soon. I think they need a bit of help uh, in the regions and everything you hear, it's a top guy. And I don't know if he's been paid out or whatever, get a couple of new teeth and then he'll start again, will he? Why is it always about the teeth, Jim? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that's you this year, isn't it? You had your B4s done? No, it's just the light on the front of the teeth. It looked great, doesn't it? Not? While we're on Aesthetics, uh, there's been a change at the Exeter Chiefs. New logo, what do you guys make of that? Well, I've started to look into NFTs, and I don't know whether they've gone down that route for that. I don't know. But if rumour has it that it's 500 grand to change your logo, I'd want my money back. Not if I'm Jack Noll, because <laughs> it looks like Jack Noll. Surely not. I mean, because they've obviously gone through a rebrand and I don't want to get into it. I don't want to talk about what I believe in and, and what I think of the world that we live in at the minute. But they've gone through a rebrand and that's what they've come up with. I mean... But fair play though. Whoever has managed to extrapolate 500 grand from anyone to come up with a badge that looks like that, they are some salesmen, let me tell you. Uh, because my little four-year-old girls could draw that for about... I'd only charge 100 quid. So, yeah, Jack Knoll, he's very firmly in that club, the furniture, part of the furniture. He is the furniture of that club, and now he's the unofficial face of uh, the badge as well. So, um, yeah, half a million quid if that is the case for that. Well done to whoever won that business. Well, let's get on to matters 
on the pitch now then. Sale produced a big comeback to beat leaders Leicester live on ITV, didn't they, lads? And BT Sport. It was on both. Okay. Yeah, they did. 21-5 down, Sale were. And they were... I could imagine Alex Sanderson at the time when they were 21 points to five down. His half-time team talk, it must have been absolutely raging because it was the same old, same old, same old. Loads of penalties, loads of errors. And he's come from a place where when he got the job last year, he had a massive impact. They end up in the semi-finals this year. Their discipline has been absolutely horrific. And he, you know, you could see after games, he was getting more and more. He's quite a placid bloke and he controls his emotions really pretty well. Doesn't show his anger. But you could see it was bubbling inside him. And then I can imagine, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall at half-time in that changing room because 21-5 down at half-time, Leicester were completely dominating and Sale were all over the shop in terms of their discipline. But a few things happened. Freddie Burns goes off injured. Sale, you know, found it within themselves to start winning collisions, start being a bit cleaner at the breakdown, reduce their error rate. Mike Forshaw, the defence coach, who is a really good bloke, he did an interview during the game on BT Sport and was absolutely livid at how the team were playing and how they were functioning. And then that the reversal in that last 20 minutes was phenomenal. You know, some Leicester errors, but Roebuck on the wing, his try, ridiculous. We've said it time and time again on here, haven't we? AJ McGinty is absolutely class. You know, he gets man of the match. Some of the skills he's producing, he was, he was phenomenal. And that's the difference. Freddie Burns goes off. Uh, Leicester in control, AJ McGinty gets the reins for, for, for sale, takes over in terms of game management, understanding how to manipulate a defence and put his team in the right positions. And uh, Sale dominated that last sort of 20, 25 minutes and were comfortable winners in the end. Again, not going back a few weeks, but I'm going to go back a few weeks. And we mentioned the race to the top four. We did put Sale into that mix. And, you, and you're thinking in that first half, you're thinking there's not a chance here. No disrespect to Sale, but Leicester have put their... Second team out, yes, they've still got, obviously, a load of class players. Jasper Visa was was back in the mixer as well. You're watching that and you're thinking, I remember watching Sale last year and Alex Anderson was talking about the discipline. It was almost like a funny kind of narrative around it because they were still winning. And they obviously made top four, lost to Exeter in the semi-final. And that was a good season in terms of where they'd come from. And then we go into this season. I'm not too sure. I can't remember what you said, Goody, but I had them in the top four. And I'm obviously pushing mm. them. Again, discipline. We're talking about discipline a little bit around scrum. They've lost Faf de Klerk, but they've still got quality players. They've obviously signed George Ford for next season. Manu Tulangi's got to come back. And you're thinking, oh, can they make top four? And then that second half, they just turned it on. You know, like Goody said, AJ McGinty, phenomenal. They're obviously losing him at the end of the season. But physically, there's no doubt about it. With the South Africans and the Dupreas and, you know, Lou Diego, I thought was phenomenal. He was close to getting man of the match. I'm not too sure whether ITV gave him that. And we mentioned AJ McGinty as well. They've got the physical attributes. There's no doubt about that without stating the obvious. They need Faf de Klerk back. If they're going to be top four, let's get into the crux of it. They need Faf de Klerk back. Rafi Quirk is phenomenal. We love him. But in terms of the kicking game that he can bring the experience, and they need Manu. They need something. I know the way that Manu plays is in the style with what Sale do anyway, but just need a bit of sparkle elsewhere. I'm going to make a, a big call there, and you can reference me. What date is it? Monday the 31st of Jan. Gosh, 2022. Next year, I reckon Sale are going to win the Prem. Oh, he said it here first. Big shout. Said it here first. If I don't, I'll whip all my teeth out with some pliers like that bloke on a social media. That I <laughs> And it was the good Hamilton derby on Sunday as well between Wasps and Saracens. We talked about it briefly before. How'd that one go, lads? Well, I'm just going to start off in the pre-match. 
and talk about the Andy Goode suite. So I had Jack Willis and Tom Willis come on stage and I did a bit of a stand-up beforehand. What do you mean stand-up? As in comedy? <laughs> yeah, I go on stage and I welcome everyone into the room and I welcome the Saracens fans and I said, is there any in the room? There's about five. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, that is Saracens' whole support base right here oh, today. Oh, banter. <laughs> banter. <laughs> yeah, just a bit of banter, a bit, a bit of chat. Didn't mention the salary cap at all, really. Didn't mention anything like that. It was all good value. People were laughing. There was about 500 people in the room and it was good fun. Then we had Jack and Tom Willis on stage and uh, all that stuff. Anyway, I finish all my Q&As pre-match, so I'll do about four. I flipped out the old phone, and there's one Saracens fan that's come at me and called me a bellend on Twitter. And I, I thought it was hilarious, because obviously he was sat in that room where... Because he was right. Well, he's probably... Yeah, well, I can be, yeah. Hey, I've seen the end of your piece, and to be fair, it's <laughs> massive. Actually, you might have one of the biggest helmets I've ever seen, and I've seen a few helmets. <laughs> thank you. I don't know whether that's a compliment, James, but thank you. Yeah, and it was quite funny, but then uh, onto the ruggers. So his day started off pretty badly, whoever he was, not taking the banter. It was all light-hearted fun. Everyone found it funny except for him. And then it obviously got worse with the ruggers, James. And um, how did it go, Jim? Well, I revert to my notes. Spink try. Good. Wasp's <laughs> defence. Tick. Even on Lewington's try, Marcus Watson's tackle on Billy Vunapola. Very good tick. Massive kick from Lozza at the end for bonus point. Tick. All in all... Tick for wasps. That's what I had in my notes. I, well, I can open up a little bit on that. Wasps had some players back, didn't they? They had Dan Robson back, Launchbury, feckin' toe my old selfie, was back as well. Gopeth playing well. I, again, I did apologise a few weeks ago about my comments on wasps. And for whatever reason, there seems to be issues each season with injuries. Uh, they obviously had a couple of big weeks in Europe, but the Prem is going to be the one, as we know, which is in big one which we're, we're talking about trying to make the top four and they've had loads of injuries but when I put Spink try tick the one after that Wasps defence tick oh my physical they were at, even when Sarri scored they were getting absolutely blitzed in defence and that's a team that is not necessarily riding high that is in a mentally good place that's what I thought yeah. I watched them play and I thought this looks like a completely different Wasp team to what we saw a few weeks ago. And without stating the obviously, obviously having Launchbury and Dan Robson and Fekatoa on the bench, you know that he's coming on, is going to make a huge difference. But I just go on the defence. Like Marcus Watson, that tackle on Billy in the corner. Like yeah. Who's making that tackle? But that ju- yeah. I know they scored off it and Lewington scored. But my point being is I saw enough in Wasp there where I'm like, again, Trying to call the top four. There's a bit of momentum. So Wasps have won the last three in the Premiership at home. They beat London Irish. They beat Leicester. Obviously now beating Saracens as well. The last few weeks, you know, last week away at Munster, they got bullied a little bit and lost the physical battle. So I always knew this week they'd be massively up for that challenge, especially knowing the physicality that Saris are bringing. And I just want to mention Tim Swinson. My God, he got absolutely smashed in a tackle. And I'm like, that's him. That's his career over. Big Jim, bring back Big Jim. And he just got up and played on. I was like, boy, boy, that second row must be hard. For a man that wears pink socks, loafers and drives a white Range Rover, I'll give him this. He's a tough bugger. I mean, not as tough as me, but he's a tough bugger. True, true. Good win for Wasps. Saracens played some good stuff. Jimmy Gopeth, off to Leicester. I mean, 39 years of age and signing a two-year deal, you can only fully, fully tip the slipper to him. He's in good form. You know, he rocks up every week. And listen, you know, Wasps, it's not to do with the salary cap. It's to do with 
questions around, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy's taking a two-year deal at Leicester. Wasps were like, we can offer you a one-year deal, but we can't justify offering a 39-year-old a two-year deal. So off he goes for a two-year deal to, to Leicester. So, you know, he's, he's been a brilliant player for Wasps. He's the guy that took my jersey off my back, put it on all those years ago. He was my replacement. Not like for like, because he was way better than what I was for Wasps. But uh, he's had a hell of a career at Wasps and everyone should just pat him on the back, thank him for his service and wish him all the best. But obviously... If you're a Wasp fan, you don't want him to go too well for Leicester against Wasps, but wish him all the best when he's not playing against Wasps. Where did that win from Bath come from over Quince? You know what? I'll be honest with you. I was I was actually really happy seeing Bath win that. Mate, why'd you hate Quince? I know, I know that, that that's what it could, it could have been anyone apart from Saracens or Gloucester or Leicester or Sale or Worcester. Or, no, I was happy for Bath. Genuinely. I was, I, and the way that they won it. Because you're watching that game unfold and right up until the end you're thinking... Nah, they ain't winning this. There's absolutely no chance. So I didn't think Quinn's played that well. Again, a load of changes in that Quinn's team. Marcus Smith, how much of a difference he makes. I thought Tommy O'Allen played well, actually, to be fair to him. Tommy O'Allen? Did, did I say Thomas O'Allen? What is it? His name's Tommaso, but he only wants to be known as Tommy now. But you've called him Tommyo, so let's leave it as Tommyo. I'm multilingual, so in our <laughs> native tongue, it's Tommyo. Uh, I know Tommy. Uh, did a few features with him before, so I'll call him Tommy Yo. Uh, but yeah, look, it's been absolutely desperate times at Bath. Look, there's been a load of big wins over the weekend. I'm sure we're going to go through some of the ones in the URC as well. But it would have been easy for Bath just to roll over and be like, you know what, bugger it. But, but they didn't, and they beat the champions, Harlequins. And again, as we go to this second part of the season, you don't want to see Bath get trounced every week. It's, they're just such a big club, aren't they? Yeah, a few things. They you know they were down to their fifth choice fly half. Max Ajomo was a centre. He was playing at 10. First time he's played at 10 since he was 16. Had a really good game, actually. Lovely little array of passing. I've spoken about him before on here. I think he's he's got a massive future ahead of him. Really confident guy. He's messaged me on social media going, just pick me as man of the match before the game. I was like, fair, fair play. And he played pretty well, but unfortunately, Lawrence was picking man of the match on Friday. But yeah, the, the atmosphere was phenomenal. Quinns will be really frustrated with themselves. First 10 minutes, they had about five penalties from scrums that I, I felt there could have been a yellow card. They had a load of opportunities that they didn't take, but you can only sort of look at Bath and go fair play. So they came out in the second half. Nathan Hughes started smashing boys for fun. That was the point that I was looking for, Goody. Sorry, I papered over the cracks of the headline. Nathan Hughes, right? Yeah. Heartbreak me old... Dog shit part, and we do, we do like dog shit parts, no, to be honest. No, John Barnes, who is the head coach of Hartby Rugby Club, my old uni mate, absolute legend, he messaged me on Friday going, Bath have just got Hartbury to thank for just getting him back on good form. Because he was banging boys. Mate, tell me about Tyrone Green's ribs. How's he got up from that? He's a Saffer. True. There you go, that's it. Only Saffers get up from that, or Scots. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I mean, Nathan Hughes, that's, we need to chat a little bit about it. And ask the question, how have Bristol's let him go? He's ended up at Artbury. They've warmed him up for one. Bath have brought him in. He's dyed one bit of his hair, shaved the other bit of his hair. And next thing he's got, not that he single-handedly won them the game, but he was a huge part to that, obviously. Could have stayed on the whole match. And he gets man of the match. And this is what I've always said about these lads from Fiji, Samoa and Tonga. Get them angry. Get them out of contract, and it's your man all day. Just move out the way. <laughs> yeah, he, he did play well, and he, you know there's a shop window for him. I know. I don't think Bristol are renewing his contract at the end of the season. There's rumours of London Irish. I think he spends a fair bit of time down 
Surrey way anyway. So that might be a good fit with Albert Tuisui going to Gloucester as well, who I think is a great signing for Gloucester, actually. But yeah, he was banging boys. He smashed Esther Hazen with Maxi Jomo. Tyron Green had a bit of a Rocky Horror Show at fullback. Well, that's where Ben Spencer makes a big difference. I think you called yeah. it out on comms, didn't you? Like his kicking yeah. game, like as in having that in the repertoire is, you know, saw Dan Robson with a few good kicks to Wasp as well, but that's massive and that's something that they've probably been missing. And humbly, I've never played for Bath, obviously, one of the few clubs I haven't played for. I'm down there doing the comms and we are pitch side. I'm stood next to World Cup winner Lawrence Delalio and... They're all shouting my name, going, love the pod, Goody, love the pod. And I'm like, mate, there's a World Cup winner here. Just speak to Lawrence. You mentioned London Irish before. They produced an upset as well, seeing off Exeter. Not only an upset, but they were 14-0 down after about 20 minutes. Hell of a comeback against a top team that aren't so much of a top team anymore, are they, James? According to results, according to the wise man who said they won't make top four. They've been concentrating on NFTs this week, haven't they? So (laughs) they've had a lot lot going on, a lot of emotion. Yeah, I like London Irish. You know, Paddy Jackson played really well again. Uh, Curtis Rohner at 13. Yeah, they've got their driving line out. Coleman, and there's been question marks. I know there's a lot of question marks around London Irish about Adam Coleman. Apparently, he divides opinion within the squad. But he's rocked up at the weekend. He played pretty well. Is he on 900 grand or is this just banned? Well, it might be 850, but yes, I mean, whatever it is, it's a lot of money. Even if it's 500, it's a lot of money. I'm not saying that he didn't deserve that, but he doesn't deserve that, let's be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk about the URC for a little bit then, Jim. What happened with Leinster? Knocked off by Cardiff. Yes, they were. And I'm going to take a bit of time to migrate through the two Welsh teams, Cardiff and Ospreys, Ospreys having a huge win against Hashtag Always as well. Because we sometimes speed through it. And there's been a lot of question marks over the Welsh regions, naturally. None of them qualified for Europe. Um, zero points or something ridiculous like that. Didn't win a game. Yeah, didn't win a game. Poor in the URC as well. Tom Shanklin, one of their own, is calling them out, asking where they're going to go. So I just jumped on the bandwagon as well and started <laughs> calling them out. So you're thinking, right, Leinster are going down there. Bring your fourth team. Jobs are good and you'll get a win down there, however it looks. You've only lost one game this season, Leinster. So off you go. Then you look at Leinster's team and you're thinking, right, they've got Sean Cronin, they've got Al Alatoa, they've got Big Dev Toner, Reese Ruddock, Luke McGrath, Will Connors, Ross Byrne, just to name a few. So got a decent team. So you're thinking, Cardiff yeah. have got no chance. Oh, no. It went down to the wire. So let me revert to my notes because I just want to call a few people out. First 20, all Leinster, tick. Then Cardiff came back. Leinster, you're thinking, right, they're going to come good. But fair play, and a couple of players stood out. Jared Evans, he got man of the match. Lovely crossfield kick to Owen Lane. Eleven to win it as well. Yeah, there we go. Andrew, go on. That's it. We can t- Mate, you go on. You can input, input there because it was Eleven to finish. Mate, it was the penalty to slot it over. You won't see a purer strike than that. When everything's on the, the kick, the result, if he misses it, game over. If he wins it, he's an absolute legend. The purity of the strike was just phenomenal. And that is the detail that I cannot give Andrew because for me, it just looked like a kick. He just got it over and there was a load of cheering. Mate, you watch that kick, replay it, the strike, the height of it, it was it was wonderful. And I've got a question. Owen Lane, I don't know, you know, we're going to speak to Dan Bigger and there's plenty of firepower in the Wales back line. How's he not in the Wales squad? How good is he? Yeah, he was very good. Huge win for Cardiff against Leinster. Again, this is the thing. You know, Biggs is going to talk about it, isn't he? When the chips are done in Wales, 
Like when they're really, really down. And there's a lot of chips in Chip Alley as well. Yeah, normally I was eating them off the floor because all the kebab shops were closed. Because the Scottish chips were down. Well, we, they were very down. We never won there. <laughs> Hashtag always, Jim. What happened? Can I just start off and tell you where I think it went wrong for Edinburgh? I know what you're going to say. Don't blame the podcast. Don't. No, I ain't blaming the podcast. I'm going to blame their social media. So basically, they made you the hero of the last time they won down at Swansea. They put the video out and they said something like Jim Hamilton powers over. It was a pick and go for about 10 centimetres out, but it was a winning try. I can't believe they haven't won there since 2009. And they're celebrating that thinking they're going to win. And oh, no, 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 no. The Ospreys come good and you're on comms and you're happy because you're still the last person to score the match winning try for a Scottish team down at the Ospreys. And you're happy days, eh? Let's be completely honest and upfront there. And I am not polishing a turd because it wasn't a turd. That try, as shit as it was, was a £15,000 per man pro rata try. I scored that pick and go in 2009 against the Ospreys when they were fully loaded, when the Ospreys were the Ospreys. Mike Phillips, Dan Bigger, Hugh Bennett, Adam Jones, Duncan Jones, Alan Wynne-Jones... Mike Phillips. Mike Phillips played twice. Yeah, I don't know if I name dropped him, but I charged him down twice. That's why I had him in mind. They were fully loaded. Anyway, in 2009, I've done a pick and go, and it was shite. I don't care. It was worth 15 grand a man. The celebrations and... Look, I don't care. I'll say it humbly. I've paid for the most of the lads' houses, their deposit, after that game. That was down to me. So I did want to see them win. But yeah, like again, like picking the result, you could only go based on what Ospreys have been like this season, especially away from home. The energy within Wales and everything that you've read. So you're thinking, hashtag always Edinburgh, missing loads of players. Nothing but, is it? No. First half, Edinburgh looked pretty good. Ospreys were banging boys. They were physical, but they didn't have much else. Uh, decent scrum. And you're thinking, all right, well, Edinburgh going to run away with it because the brand of rugby that they play went back to a bit of a kicking game. But no, mate, Ospreys just turned the screw and more than I was at watching the Bath game, I was actually happy for them. Because, again, listening to Lee Blackett, we mentioned his interview with his emotion after anyone who saw the game and Toby Booth. Toby Booth was in tears after the game. The emotion of having a game against Edinburgh in the shadows of the Six Nations. Don't know how many people would have been watching it or even seen that interview. But that raw emotion just kind of said everything to me. And we gave Reese Webb uh, man of the match. He, I thought he was great. Stephen Myler, Andrew, man from your own up, just doing what he does, just just kicking them around. But it was more around the physicality that they showed and their desire, never say die attitude. Like they absolutely deserved it. There was no two ways about that. So I think they've taken a beating. It's rightly so that we give them a bit of airtime on, on the podcast today, both Cardiff and Ospreys. And that is the thing when you leading to the Six Nations, and we're thinking, again, everyone's thinking, well, Wales, no chance. You're not writing them off again, are you, Jim? I can't. I can't. I can't, I can't embarrass myself, but I might <laughs> say the food's fifth. <laughs> well, we've talked about how excited you guys are about the live show in Edinburgh. How excited are you about the Calcutta Cup? Very, in terms of seeing and being there and all this stuff. We, we, you know, the rivalry's huge. And obviously, what's happened over the last few years, Scotland have got their tails up. You know, one down at Twickenham last year. We haven't just got our tails up. We have got our kilts up. 
and <laughs> there's some long old helmets on show. Your little pieces are hanging out everywhere. There is some monsters on show. I'll tell you Chris Harris. I'll tell you Chris, really? Chris Harris, yeah. Um, what I will say is I'm nervous. I'm going to say it. Scott and the favourites. Can you handle the pressure of being favourites? Oh, I don't know about that, but you're probably right. You know, <laughs> when you look at it on face value and, you know, Glasgow beating Exeter in Europe, albeit one game, and Edinburgh top of the URC. Yeah, Exeter, Exeter put about 100 on Glasgow a few weeks later. Yeah, but they've changed their logo, so you can't respect them as much, can you? Now? So it's, <laughs> You know what, when you look at it and you delve a bit deeper into it, Scotland have to be the favourites. They're at home. They've got all their players are fit. They've got the best players fit. And again, there's not as much information coming out as much as it was. Maybe we're not as close to you know the England team in terms of knowing who's fit or who's going to play. And you sometimes get wind of that. But England, it just seems a bit disjointed at the minute, doesn't it? Joe Marler's got COVID. Johnny Hill's touch and go. Obviously, Faz is out. Courtney Laws is touch and go. Joe Marchant's got COVID. You, you want like they've got to travel up to Scotland. The difference is this match to last year is the energy around the fans. That's the big thing. And I think that that's going to be the big factor in this game for both teams, like how Scotland managed their emotions in a full stadium. Obviously, the win against England last year at Twickenham, there was no fans and I was lucky enough to be there. Doesn't count. Yeah. Okay, well, it doesn't count. Let's, let's say this one doubly counts then. But I think Scotland <laughs> are in such a good place. But Goody mentioned it. The pressure's on that and we never do well when we're expected to win. We just don't. So that is the shift now, isn't it? Because any paper you read, you know, whether or not it is Surrey and McGeekin or Sam Warburton or credible podcasters like myself and Goody, we all think that Scotland are going to be good. And that's the pressure because really when you look at it, we should beat England at the weekend for the reasons that we've just gone through. Scotland, we've got strength and depth. Duan van der Merwe's fit. Finn Russell's on form. Stuart Hogg's in form. We've got a load of centres that we can choose from. Massive question. Who are you going with in the centres? Well, I think he'll go with what he knows. I think he'll go Sam Johnson and Chris Harris. I wouldn't be surprised if Cam Redpath starts at 12, but he's only played two games. Sione Tupelotu played really well for Glasgow. He offers something different. If we're getting to the crux of it, why not? But I think because Duan van der Merwe's fit, they might not need him. You know, Hamish Watson will start, but you've got Rory Darge pushing him close. You know, we've got a number of second rows to choose from. So we're in a good place from a Scottish perspective. But England, as we know, have got a pool of players to choose from that arguably is bigger and better than anyone in the world. And they're well coached. And England are never going to be crap. They're just not. Look what they did to New Zealand. I keep going back to that game in the World Cup. No one saw that coming. And look what they did. What kind of game does Scotland need to play to win this, Jim? I think they need to not play how we think they're going to play with Finn at 10. I think there needs to be a more strategic approach. Ain't never happening with Finn Russell, is it? I think I think they will. I think he'll kick more. I think off the back of the lines, guys like Ali Price and Finn and Hoggy, where there was a lot of kicking, will understand that you need a bit of kicking in the game. I don't know, it's hard because you don't know who England got. If, you know, if England have got Marchant and they've got guys like this who are good in the intercept. You know, Finn wouldn't have been throwing balls, I don't think, but it just depends on what team England pick, I think. Set-piece is going to be key as well, isn't it? Like, we know the weather's going to be probably brutal. It always is in that game, isn't it? It's either cold, windy, wet, whatever, up in Edinburgh. And that set-piece battle is huge because when you're talking about Finn Russell's kicking and having some a more strategic approach to how they play, you can only really do that with a solid set-piece at times as well, can't you? 
you know, otherwise you're kicking under pressure and that leads to other errors. Then Finn Russell starts to think, right, let's chuck it around a bit more because we can't get anywhere with, with our set piece or whatever. So that set piece battle is going to be massive. Now, I know Joe Marler's got COVID. I expect him to come back and he'll probably be on the bench. But Ellis Genge, Luke Karandicki and Carl Sinclair as our front row are going to try and put Scotland under a huge amount of pressure because there will be knock-ons, there will be scrums. I don't think they can. I don't think that front row can. You don't think? Nah. I think out of all, well, that's what I mean. You know, it'd be good to sit and chew the fat over a beer. Andrew, I don't think they will dominate set piece. We'll have about 30 this week each day responsibly, will we? And we probably don't want to see a pint again at a rugby match. But (laughs) yeah, I don't think they will. I think a lot of it will come down to, without stating the obvious, and maybe you can say and talk about it, Goody, but how good is Marcus Smith up against Finn? Yeah. It's going to come down to that, isn't it? And it'll be coming of age for Marcus Smith. It really will. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, I asked. Jim, who they're going to pick in the centres for Scotland? Who are England going to pick in the centres for for us? You know, to play outside Marcus Smith, obviously Northmore's in the squad. I'd pick Atkinson at twelve. I think he's really good. I think he's very similar to Esther Hazen in terms of what happens at Harlequins, which gives Marcus Smith uh, an out, a focal point to go to in terms of needing some power and bulk to try and get over the gain line if things are going wrong. Because we know, listen, Marcus Smith is going to do his goose step. He's going to pull out his bag of tricks where he's you know trying to pull defenders out the line. He really is a joy to watch, Marcus Smith. And the same goes with Finn Russell. You know, these are the two of the best attacking fly halves, instinctive, that can see things that perhaps other fly halves can't necessarily see and can act upon it as well because they've got the skill set to do it. I can't wait to watch it. Now, you know, Henry Slade is probably going to play. I'd pick him at 13. There's chat of him playing at 12. I'd go Atkinson at 12 and, and Henry Slade at 13. I think by the fact that Joe Marchant has had. COVID and he picked it up late on Friday he's going to miss a hell of a lot of training this week he was actually picked Joe Marchant on the wing for England's last game in the autumn so you know you're then looking at what wingers is he going to pick you know Freddie Stewart's a shoe in at fullback then who do you pick on the wings Jack Knoll for me the physicality is his form again for Exeter he's bounced back from a lot of injuries that he's had we know Johnny May's out Joe Marchant is going to you know he's obviously struggling I'd like to see could be a baptism of fire, but Ollie Hassel Collins, I think, has made more meters, beaten more defenders than anyone else in the Prem. You know, I know Adam Radburn's been called in. He's he was ridiculous again every time he touches the ball at the weekend. Max Malins potentially because of the kicking battle he might be playing on the wing. So there's loads of selection questions for Eddie Jones, but effectively it's the centre selection and who, who's going to play outside Marcus Smith that's key for me to understanding how we're going to play and whether he goes with Northmore at 12 I'd go with Atkinson we shall see this episode is brought to you by Viore I love sports I know you do too I also know that lots of you exercise but if you're like me and my wife the the beloved sports gal you're sick and tired of ugly uncomfortable workout gear especially you know I do a lot of walking I walk around LA I make calls I listen to podcasts here are two words that will change everything Viore clothing a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. 
I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Let's look ahead to the Island-Wales game now as well. Wales, as always heavy underdogs, but they always manage to, as we say, pull it out for the Six Nations, don't they? They do. And listen to Johnny Sexton, and that was the questions that I had that he answered, not the questions that I asked him, because I haven't spoke to him, but other people asking him around them being undercooked. And you have to look at that, because a large bulk of that team is obviously Leinster. And they've been comfortable, haven't they? They've not really been tested in Europe. They've had a couple of stand-down weekends, and Every game that they play, apart from the game against Cardiff, has been comfortable for them. Whereas Wales, it's been battle after battle, week after week, battle-hardened. But when you look at the two squads on paper and you look at what Ireland did to the All Blacks, you can't see anything but, can you not? But the thing is with Wales, and I go based on my history with them, writing them off, last six nations are going to finish fifth, World Cup, no way. Are they going to do anything in the World Cup? And they limp through into that semi-final and nearly beat South Africa. They're one of these special teams, aren't they? That for whenever they put on that jersey, something happens. So you don't want to write them off, but you can't look past Ireland. And I'm going based on Ireland. That that game against the All Blacks changed everything for me in terms of how well they played, how physical they were. And they transferred what Leinster have been doing and the dominance that they've had in the Pro 14 URC and a lot of time in Europe, internationally. And I just thought that was frightening to see because you're like, actually, they're the team to beat. Yeah. And, and listen, Wales have got a lot of firepower in terms of their back line. You know, they've got Liam Williams, they've got Lewis rees Zamet, Josh Adams. You know, when you go and, you know, look in the centre, obviously Dan Bigger's going to play at 10. Hallahollo might play in the, in the centres. He's perhaps got a hamstring injury. So we'll find out. They have got good players. And like you say, they always surprise from and you know their their regional form doesn't then transfer into the Wales jersey because the regional form isn't great and then they grow a pair in a Wales jersey. So, but you're right, Jim. Yeah, we're going to Dublin on Wednesday. I'm saying Ireland by 20 points here, purely because I want to put Black Current and McGuinness, and hopefully that that'll be allowed on on Wednesday. But when you've dusted the All Blacks and people question, you know, are they undercooked? They hadn't played that much before they beat the All Blacks in reality. So they'd all come back off the the Lions tour. You know, they played a couple of games for Leinster, then bang, straight into the Autumn Internationals. That was a complete performance for me. 
both sides of the ball, defence and attack. They're going to be very hard to break down. You know, love the battle between Sexton as, as captain of Ireland and Bigger as captain of Wales. You know, two guys that, you know, let's not forget Dan Bigger got picked ahead of Johnny Sexton for the Lions in the summer as well. So Johnny Sexton will have a point to prove. But it's can Wales stay on the coattails of Ireland uh, long enough into the game to try and cause an upset towards the end? Or do Ireland blitz them away with, you know, the, the energy, the power, you know, the precision in their attack? You, you look at how they attacked against the All Blacks and a lot of the shapes that Leinster put on. Uh, we haven't really seen that transfer from Leinster into an Ireland jersey until the autumn just gone. So, And there was 12 Leinster starters in that team that beat the All Blacks. So, yeah, it's, it's Ireland's to lose, really. Well, we can have a chat to the main man ahead of the game. Wales captain Dan Bigger is on the phone now. Thanks for coming on. How are you, mate? Good, thanks. Uh, all good, all good. Biggs, I know you've gone around the houses on this. Obviously, there was a big media week or a few days last last week, and you'll probably just want to get yeah. to the games. But we, we need to touch on it. Being captain must feel, sound amazing, everything that kind of goes with that. Does it feel like that? I know there's some undercurrents around the reasons why we can maybe get into that as well. But how does it feel to be Wales captain going to the Six Nations? Yeah, pretty surreal, really, Jed, to be honest. Never probably never thought that it would it would probably come to this. And like you said, admittedly, if there was probably a lot more boys back, uh, fit and available, my name would probably be a little bit further down the list. But as it is, there's there's it's a it's a young group and I suppose when as one of the senior guys there now and being around a little bit. Yeah, just really yeah, really humbling really to be honest, to be to be thought of in a position to to be given it really. And then bigs on that as well. There's obviously a humble element to that answer there, but I'm a bit surprised by that. And I'm also surprised that you haven't been made captain in other games before, because it seems like you are made from that kind of cloth, everything at Northampton, everything at Wales. Why is that? Why is it not kind of straight away, Alan Wynne-Jones isn't captain, or Dan Bigger, one of the most experienced, he's fly half, we've seen Johnny Sexton fly half, Faz as captain um, from fly half as well, or 12. Why is it not immediate with you? Because it seems from the outside that you are a natural leader. Yeah, and I think probably we've been lucky really that Al, you know, Al hasn't really had too, picked up too many injuries. And Wayne made quite a good point actually in terms of when Al's been captain over the last, you know, the number of years that he's been captain. I suppose he's had people like myself to be able to really sort of, as, as almost as a lieutenant, really, do you know what I mean? To sort of run the team unofficially, really, and him do all the official stuff and, and the speaking stuff. But, uh, yeah, I'm not really sure. I suppose it's just a little bit of that. And, 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 and I suppose it's a bit of, there's been, perhaps there's a little bit of an element of not wanting to put too much on. I know, like you said, you know, Johnny and, and Faz do it. But I suppose perhaps maybe if there's other people who are, who are, who've got the option to do it, not think, you know, obviously myself, I've got to think about, you know, goal kicking, running the team, leading training, standards, picking things up. So there's a lot on the plate, but perhaps that's that's a reason. And uh, I'm, uh, yeah, I suppose I'm, I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to it, this campaign. It's a different side of it. I quite enjoyed the media side of things in terms of the, the, the launch day on Wednesday as a bit of a change. And yeah, just really looking to take it, not take it, I know it sounds stupid, but not take it too serious, if that makes sense. I don't, I don't want to be, I, I, the first thing I said to Wayne was, I said, if I'm going to, if I'm going to do it, I don't want to change how I am around the camp, how I am around the, you know, the team room, or how I am in terms of my, my character being quite spiky and competitive and, and things on the field as well. So uh, ultimately there's got to be a, now that you're captain, there has to be a line where you have to 
the lead by that example as well. But I said to him, I really don't want to change my character or my personality too much if I'm if I'm going to accept the job as well. I've just worked out why I was never captain of any teams then, because you mentioned a few things there. Leadership, leading by example, and training standards. I mean, I, that must have been <laughs> yeah. where, where I went wrong. But one of the big things for me, Jim Hamilton on our podcast here, and me and Jim go back a long way, he claims all the time he was everyone's vice-captain. Now, you've clearly been a vice-captain whether officially or unofficially for Wales over a long time under Alan Wynne jones Who are you leaning on now in the Wales squad to be your Jim Hamilton? Because it's, according to Jim, it's a, it's a massively important job, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. I think it's, I think he's probably even more so good for, for me in this scenario because I, I've said, said a couple of times this week, it's, I don't want my voice to be the only guy here because you, you know what it's like, Goody, from 10. You naturally speak a lot in terms of having input into whatever it is, set plays, what you want from your line callers, all different kinds of things. But I've, I've been really conscious. That I've leaned on Adam Beard, obviously being the official vice captain, but Tom Francis, people like John Davis, Ellis Jenkins, guys who've got some, you know, a lot of experience. I need their voices to be heard probably more so than, than when Al was captain or we have, we've got a lot of senior boys because I, I really don't want my voice to be, sort of barking orders and, and speaking up from a playing point of view and also from having to drive things, whether it's off the field or training standards or, or whatever it is. So it's not just white noise. And the best sort of qualities I found with good captains I played under are they know when to speak and what to say at the right time. So it's not so it, so it very much isn't just white noise and you're just switching off when the same voice is, is saying things, whether it, whether they're right or wrong. Sometimes if it's just one voice constantly, it's 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 a little bit of white noise. And Biggs, how's it been managing the Northampton club and being Wales captain? I know we've spoken about it before in terms of you going back in the fallow weeks when lads who are centrally contracted get rested. I know it's something that Northampton are happy to work with you on and something you're also very comfortable with. Is it nice having that separation from the pressure of being Wales captain and being in camp all that time and get back to play for Northampton and get a good win against Worcester? Yeah, I've, I quite enjoyed going back, actually, because I think a lot of boys went... Obviously, there's a few boys in England who went back. A lot of boys actually went back to get some game time with, obviously, the way that the situation's gone in Wales with the COVID and lack of game time and things. So there hasn't been a huge amount of boys in camp. So there hasn't been a huge amount of actual team and, and preparation stuff it's more been about just getting boys up to speed physically and uh, and picking up bits and pieces so that'll start on Monday really to, uh, when we go in tomorrow but I, I really quite enjoyed get, going back and playing because just keeps you on top of things keeps you sort of match sharp and uh, as opposed to perhaps you know because we didn't play the the racing game which was called off due to COVID and so it would have been you know three weeks if I if I hadn't played yesterday so I always feel for me I'm always a better player if I'm if I'm playing more often than not anyway so um it's been great and to be fair Northampton have been brilliant as well in terms of you know they're, they're quite flexible and how they you know need me back if I need to miss a couple of things or whatever and, and basically just be be right for the game then then that, that makes a big difference as well so it's not like I'm getting flogged in the week in training and then having to, having to battle it out on Saturday but um no it's been good and obviously you know good to go back and get get a bonus point win as well. And, and again, it keeps that, I suppose, your confidence and momentum headed into a, headed into a big week as well. Biggs, I was going to ask about the mood in the camp and it would have been probably more difficult to answer before the weekend, but I was down your old neck of the woods. Well, it's still your neck of the woods, but you're not there as much. Yeah, I saw you. I saw you were down, I saw you were down there, Jim. 
Have they stripped all the pictures of me down there now, though? They've ripped all those down. They're putting them back up. The funniest thing was, Big, is <laughs> that they were digging through the archives. And the last time Edinburgh won, not that I'm trying to make this all about me, it was in 2009. You were playing. You had a hell of a lid, actually. Yeah, I saw that. The highlights. Yeah, the, some highlights <laughs> on there as well. I know. But I need to get to the point was the last time Edinburgh won there was 2009. And the vice captain, Jim Hamilton, scored a pick and go try. And Edinburgh got a 15 grand bonus because we finished oh, really? second per man. Not to make it about me, but we were thinking in the lead-up to that game, Edinburgh are going to smash the Ospreys. Not smash them. Yeah. They're going to beat them. Leinster, if they put the fourth team out, they're going to beat Cardiff. It, you know, Everything is against the regions, even the media, you, the, the people asking questions, people that have played yeah. for Wales, people that have played for the regions. But now we can speak about it slightly better, a bit more energy. How are you watching that? How are you finding that now you are captain? with the lads not doing so well in Europe and all the injuries and everything that goes around the politics of the regions? Yeah, if I'm honest, Jim, uh, it's nothing really new for us in terms of in Wales, because, you know, probably over the last 10 years, how successful the national team has been. I don't think anybody could argue that probably the regions haven't been as successful as they would have wanted to have been. So whether it's, you know, we've had the odd bit of success over the last 10 years, but on the whole, we, we've always tended to come in a little bit on the back foot with, you know, obviously your Irish clubs and, and English clubs and French clubs probably doing a fair bit better than, than we have over the last 10 years anyway. So it's, it's kind of nothing really new that we always tend to judge ourselves off what we do in, in the Welsh jersey or as a Welsh team anyway, because we always seem to come together. We've got quite a set, even though there's a lot of boys out, it's quite a settled group. So it's almost like a club environment when we come together, if that makes sense. So it's kind of like we put everything aside for those periods. We know that we get brought up to speed quickly with a, with the a physical conditioning and, and the mental side of things. And it's kind of just like business as usual. And, and, and I think we're almost better as a, as a nation when we, when we've got our backs against the walls a little bit and you know that the, perhaps the, the favorite tags is is something that that we don't perhaps deal with that well in Wales success and, and things like that so um so it's nothing really new for us and it's it's something that we'll we'll be judged on how we go over the next sort of five or six weeks as opposed to sort of you know this this is probably just regular occurrence for us knowing that we're a little bit behind the eight ball when we come in it's interesting though isn't it because you know and I'm sure there's other people that have read this. I know you're not massive on social media or anything like that, but do, does it infiltrate into the squad? You've got people like Clive Woodward writing you off already. Jim Hamilton's written Wales off previously. Does it infiltrate into the squad? Because ultimately, it must inspire you guys to say, actually, everyone's talking about Ireland, everyone's talking about France, and there, you know, similar things were said last year, and then, lo and behold, Wales go and win it, and Jim thought you were going to finish fifth. So is it something that spurs you on, especially now as captain? Because is it all about inside noise or just outside noise as well? I think, again, Goody, if we're, if we're honest, probably if you look back over the last 10 years, if we'd have gone into every six nations we've gone into, you, if you went into a bookies, you'd probably find that France, England and Ireland were more fit, were favourites with the bookies as opposed to us. So I suppose even even coming off the back of winning it last year, and admittedly there's a lot of experience which we're missing and a lot of players out and, and bits and pieces. But for us, again, it, it really is just sort of business as usual. We're, we're, we're never, when the tournament starts and everyone's on a level playing field, when you look at the resources and the, the, the depth that France, Ireland and England can produce, just just those three alone, you, you, you're automatically going to be on the back foot. And but for us, it's again, it's one of those things where we're always we always probably start the tournament as fourth or fifth favourites anyway. So it's kind of just you know we're rock up and and you know the both of you know that 
the competition hinges on probably the first couple of weekends if if we can get off to a good start. And it's not about playing particularly good rugby or hitting your straps in week one or two. It's about getting results in week one and two because you, you don't get a couple of results in those first couple of weeks. And, you know, it's a real it's a real struggle then. And it's, it's an uphill battle. Whereas you pick a result or two up and all of a sudden momentum just sort of goes with you. A little bit like last year, you know, we, we rode our luck a little bit in the first couple of games, picked up results and, and then all of a sudden momentum and you get a little bit of luck and the bounce of the ball and you can you can fly through the tournament as opposed to really sort of, you know, digging in every single week or every training, every training session. Let's talk about the game then, because ultimately there's a bit of a heads up, you against Sexton, both captains. Uh, presuming Johnny's fit and firing as well. It's a massive challenge, isn't it? And, you know, I've been reading a lot in the press this week about the selection in the backs, and you're not going to talk to me about the selection, but, you know, Josh Adams might move to 13. Halaholo's potentially got a hamstring injury or whatever. But the back three, you are missing a load of caps, more so up front, but the back line still looks ridiculous. And when Lewis Rees-Zamet scores tries like he did on Saturday night for, for Gloucester, there's obviously a massive amount of X factor within you. How, how are you going to go over there and win it? Yeah, well, we, I think we're all dreading going into camp tomorrow after seeing that. Try. I think we'll just pretend we none of us saw the try on the weekend. For him. <laughs> um, we, we just brush over that, but it was pretty. Yeah, it was a special effort, wasn't it? In fairness to him. Um, in terms of yeah, like you, like you said, good. The backline really hasn't been affected too much in terms of the injuries. Obviously, with, with George North being out, is a bit of a blow, but. Generally, the backbend's untouched, and we've got lots of firepower. So, so from that point of view, we take you know there's a huge amount of confidence in the group that if we can wrestle enough momentum uh, up front, we're going to have some strike strike runners behind. But uh, against against Ireland in particular, it's imperative that we don't just absorb what they got because Ireland's game plan and, and you know they've been hugely successful and. and their, their first port of call is about squeezing you, you know, making sure that they've got territory, playing in the right areas, and something that Johnny does him incredibly well, has done for the last however long he's been playing. He's going to put them in the right areas and look to strangle us and look for us to be in, ill-disciplined and create cheap, cheap opportunities for them. So it's about making sure that we front up first. And I, I think that's what we said. We want to make sure that we go there and we try and get on the front foot as opposed to just absorbing you know, the waves of Irish attack and think if teams that do well against Ireland really go on the front foot and, and look to be offensive and match them physically, the teams that struggle against them are the teams that absorb and just soak up pressure after pressure and they've got too much quality and, and are too well coached for, for you just to absorb that for, for a long period. Lastly from me, Biggs, the great man. Has he touched anyone on the shoulder last week? Will he touch anyone on the shoulder before they go out to play the speech Will he give anything? I'm talking about Alan Wynne-Jones. We might see him in the championship this year if he can get his shoulder right. I wouldn't bet against him. Have you had him to lean on? Uh, he hasn't been in. He hasn't been in this week or last week. Sorry, um, and I, I don't think. I think he's gone back to the club to to carry on with his rehab. But like, like I think Wayne said in the week, I think you know you never know with with Ali. I don't think any of us expected him to rock up in. Um, in South Africa, the way he did after whatever disclaimed his shoulder, but I'm sure I'm sure if there's any chance of him being fit, he'll be knocking around and getting back for you know the end of it. But I think I think at the minute we we have to accept that you know for the first time in a long time we're we're dealing without without the great man. So um, you know wouldn't be surprised to see him walk through the door, but uh, it's certainly not on the agenda at the minute. You're saying there's a chance, though. That's all we need to know. The legend could return. <laughs> Last thing I'm going to ask then, Biggs. I, you know, I love your passion when you when you play, and you know, as an ex-10 myself, you're always questioning referees' decisions as a ten. And you know, 
you've been renowned for doing that and you sort of manage the game as you go along. Have you got to change slightly a little bit? Have you got to be a bit more conscious of, which you have done over the last couple of years, no doubt, but has anyone sort of had a, a word in your ear about maybe competing too much with referees? Yeah, not, nobody sort of said it directly, but I think I think that naturally, you know, even though I said to Wayne, I don't want to change who I am and, you know, that drive and will to win. And because I said to Wayne, I said, I've got to be the player first as well, because I've got to play... You know, I've, you've got to play well, and that's what drives me. And I've got to be on that edge. I can't be completely, utterly calm, cool, and collective because that's you know that's that's not my character. But there's a, absolutely good. There's a now that the the captaincy is on the shoulders, it does come with a responsibility. And, it, and I think, if I'm honest with you, I think it'll help as well in terms of having those conversations with with referees and being able to just have have decisions explained or maybe voice one or two concerns or, or areas which we feel like we're not getting the rub of the green. So I, th- I think it'll be a really, you know, it'll be a big test to, to show where to where I've matured and, uh, and bits and pieces. And I'm, and I'm one that I'm really looking forward to. So I think you're, you're absolutely spot on the money. It's it's something that is it comes with it, being a captain. And But I do think it will really help me in terms of the conversations with referees. But also, I don't want to change how how I play the game as a player. And first and foremost, I need to make sure that I'm, I'm on the edge and on the right side of it, as opposed to being really cool, calm, and, and sort of just quite placid on, in terms of making sure that I just worry about referee decisions. I want to make sure that I'm... I'm playing okay, and for me to play okay, I need to be um, on 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 that on the edge sort of thing. Good stuff. And then finally, 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 did the Mrs. Bake you a uh, a captaincy cake once you got the armband? She hasn't actually, do you know? So that, that may be something. But we're hoping uh, we've got a few Kobe calves going on. Obviously, with the uh, we're in sort of for a couple of weeks now, so I'm hoping that she's going to send some stuff up to the veil for um, for Wednesday afternoon when we have a, a coffee and a and a cake maybe on. Uh, on COVID calf so I'll get her on the case this week alright Dan well, thank you very much for coming on the show mate best of luck against Ireland and of course the rest of the tournament as well cheers fellas always, always a pleasure that's class bigs legend thanks lads we are rooting for Wales or I'm rooting for Wales now that you're captain that's for sure not when they play Scotland on week two but legend bigs thanks mate great bloke top lad yeah top lad great bloke Call him what, he's a, a brilliant guy isn't he? he's got a massive Future in the media as well. Love listening to him. Analyzes the game really well. Talks really well. And he's going to have a, you know, obviously a massive role for for Wales over the Six Nations. I'm really chuffed to see him as captain. I can't wait to see how he develops because we know, and I said it to him then, didn't I, about how he, you know, is very passionate around trying to get decisions go his way. Can't wait to watch him with the armband on, um, and hopefully, you know, Wales will overachieve in your opinion again, James. Hopefully, real treat to have him on. Friend of the show. Well, the Guinness Six Nations is back this week, and so is the Guinness Match Pipe Predictor. So for those of you that have played before, you know the drill. For those that haven't, make sure you get involved. It couldn't be easier. Just predict who will win each game every weekend. Go up against your mates in a private league, and if you get it right, you win a pint of Guinness. And if you top our Rugby Pod League, you win loads of great prizes like memorabilia and match day tickets as well. Let's get your predictions now then, lads. Should we start with France and Italy? The big one. There's only one way this is going, eh, Jim? I'm going to say France by... 30. Oh, that's conservative as well, I think. Yeah, I think conservative week one, game one. Game's in Paris, though. Yeah, I'm going to go 32 points to six. France, obviously. So what's the uh, differential there, James? 
I don't know a lot. <laughs> 26. 28. <laughs> 6. 26. 26. <laughs> Ireland, Wales. I'm going to say 28-12, Ireland. And what's that points differential? That is so 12 plus 12 is 24. So that's 12, 24, 4. And so that is, is 16. Yeah, I mean, my mum was your math teacher. If she taught you that way of doing subtraction, I need to have a word with her because that's shocking. No. She told me to slow it down and do not be pressurised by anybody, even her own son. Slow what down? <laughs> yeah, I, I, as much as I want Wales to do well, quarter Welsh, we're going to Ireland this week. We're in Dublin on Wednesday. I'm going to say Ireland by 20, 20 points. Yeah, I'll stick at 20 points. All right. And how much is Scotland going to win by, Jim? It was Andrew first. How much is Scotland going to win by? The confidence. I suppose Andy Rowe... You're claiming to be Scottish as well, are you? Yeah, I'm claiming to be Scottish. I'll, I'll, I'll put my name to it. Yeah, because you blew the bagpipes a couple of years ago really badly. <laughs> Tried to, <remember>? yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty nervous about this. Whereas last year, I thought we'd win the Calcutta Cup at Twickenham. Yeah, I think Scotland are favourites. I really do. Just hit us with the score. I'm going to say I'm going to win it by four. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> he can't bring himself to say it no I can't just do it goody as much as your favourites England by four Marcus Smith the wizard this shows how much you don't give a shit about your match point predictor then doesn't it because you're willing <laughs> to go all the way with us and I am yeah, I'd, I'd, ra- I'd rather lose face than you know and, and say England are going to win even if Scotland do win I can't trust the Met Office app so I ain't even going to talk about whether I'm just going to talk an all-out score here, lads. 24-18 Scotland, which is six points. Well done, James. Yeah, I know. Well, I did it just before. I was adding it up as you were talking, just to make sure that I could be quick and be quick this time. Yeah, 24-18. I think it's going to be a cracker. Well, I hope it is. And I hope that after our week ahead that we'll be able to see it properly. What did the weather say, Jim? Well, it says precipitation. Oh, my rain, 74%. By kickoff, it's seventy six percent precipitation. Well, when I was in Dubai, it had sunshine every day, and it weren't because some <laughs> bugger was making it rain. I think come wind, rain, or shine or snow, we're winning. It just depends by how much. But I've gone for Scotland by six. Come on, Scotland! We've got your round one predictions, but who, who's going to win the whole thing? Really tough one to call, isn't it? Even the Scots, they had, I think they had their best ever Six Nations last year in terms of wins, and they finished fourth, joint third. Yeah, well, fourth. Pre-tournament, you're asking me, looking at the fixtures, I think France have got the best run of fixtures. If they can dust Scotland away from home, they've got Ireland in Paris, they've got England in Paris. And, uh, you know, the form that they were on in the autumn, I think France are favourites for me. Ireland, Scotland, Grand Slam decider, last game of the tournament. (laughs) (laughs) Scotland in a Grand Slam decider. The only decider that will be is if Ireland have still got the Grand Slam on the line. Scotland won't be playing for a Grand Slam. They'll be trying to stop Ireland win the Grand Slam, James. I think Scotland will win the first two games and then... Lose to Italy. (laughs) You're right. Probably win all of them, lose to Italy. Um, I want to say Scotland. I'm going to say Ireland to win Grand Slam decider last game. I just think because Ireland are at home and we struggle against Ireland, Ireland will just pip us by one point. It'll be a controversial decision that should have never been. All right, then. Well, don't forget, if you want to join in at home, all you need to do is download the Matchpoint app, join our league with the code RugbyPod, and get your predictions in to win free pints and other great prizes as well. Well, let's finish things off then with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, Yeah, plenty of good this week. Uh, We're going to start off with London Irish. We spoke about them earlier. They've done the double over Exeter for the first time in 11 years. 
So beat them down at Sandy Park early in the season and beat them at home this weekend. So well done to them. Um, Lewis Rees Zamet, talk about Six Nations, talk about wheels. What a ridiculous try he scored at the weekend. The kid looks like he's jogging and he's going at 50 miles an hour. Skibbs called it. He said, if it weren't for Sam Raven putting them all to bed and singing them songs and stroking their head, that would never happen, <laughs> that win. So, Ravo, forget Lewis Rees-Amit. I'm going to swap your name in, even though it's Goody's segment, and just put your name in there with Grease Lightning or Reese Lightning or whatever he's called. Yeah, hell of a try. Well done to Ravo as well for getting the boys some beds as team manager. He was FaceTiming me. He was in bed himself. So, <laughs> I don't know who sorted the beds out. <laughs> AKA, do your job. Well done, Ravo. Um, what else was good? Montpellier. Going over to France, uh, they were away winners at La Rochelle. Their march continues. Obviously, we've given them the good, we've given them the bad. And this week, they get a mention of the good. They don't win it, but it's a good win away from home at La Rochelle. Uh, Wasps, James, they're going to get a mention of the good this week. Absolutely no dominating Saracens. Not only was the Andy Good suite absolutely rammed, but they nearly put 50 points on Saracens. So a great win for the boys and good to see Joe Launchbury and Malachi Selfie Fekitoa back as well. Sales second half comeback gets a mention of the good this week. 21 points to five down. Somehow turned it around with a bit of physicality and some clinical finishing from young wingers Roebuck and War. Back to France. Racing beat Toulouse away from home. French clubs learning to win away from home. I like it. Battle of the big spenders in France. Racing beaten to lose, so a good performance by them. Glasgow are going to get mentioned the goo this week, James. 42-20 winners away at Connacht. Six tries. Yeah, they took an absolute maul in by Exeter a few weeks back, but they've bounced back and they have beaten Connacht away from home. It's a big win, that, because Connacht is a tough place to go, especially in the URC with Glasgow missing a few on international duty. So uh, tip the slipper to them. Bath get mentioned in the goo. They don't win the goo this week, but... They get a mention for their victory over Harlequins on Friday night down at the wreck. The Bath fans were phenomenal. The atmosphere was unbelievable. They've now won two on the spin. So we've given them plenty of stick this year, rightly so, for their performances. But they managed to pull one out of the bag at the wreck on Friday night. So they get a mention in the good. But the good this week goes to a team who have been in the bad a few times this year. They've had a lot of adversity. We spoke about them earlier. It was an unbelievable performance by Cardiff in beating Leinster. They've had loads of adversity over the last few months, but they beat Leinster for the first time at home since 2007 with the last kick of the game coming from Jared Evans. A great performance, fully deserved. So Cardiff get the good this week. The bad, a few bits of bad. We're going to start off with... One of my old clubs, Worcester Warriors. Uh, that's three defeats on the spin for them, and they pushed JT out the door the week before the result. So not happy about JT getting the boot. Worcester Warriors get a mention in the bad this week. Uh, Toulon, they're going to get a mention in the bad, Jim. They lost away from home at Stade Francais, and they're now second bottom of the top 14. That is some fall from grace from the Galacticos they used to have. Second, they could get relegated, Jim. I can't say I'll be bothered in the slightest. I'm sorry. <laughs> There you go. So too long get mentioned the bad, but the bad this week has to go unfortunately to another old club of mine, Newcastle. What's going on there? Not playing well at all. They got dominated by Gloucester. Their home form isn't great. They've now lost their last three games and haven't won at home since October. So a poor performance at times from Newcastle. So Newcastle get the bad this week. And then the ugly, couple of bits of ugly really. Uh, Elliot D gets a mention. He took full responsibility afterwards, but 
was reckless in his clear out of Benetton centre, Filippo Drago, hit him full on in the head with his shoulder, so that wasn't great. But the ugly this week, unfortunately, we like Ulster, we love Ulster, we have a good time when we go over to Belfast, we are looking forward to a live show in Belfast. Craig Gilroy's tackle on Tom Rogers was a clear shoulder to the head, and Jaco Piper's decision to only give a yellow card was absolutely ridiculous. The whiplash on it, it was an awful, awful challenge. The mitigation was he was going down, but everyone that's seen that is saying it's a straight red card. Craig Gilroy and Jaco Piper, the inconsistency of the decision is why everyone gets frustrated with it. So that gets the ugly this week. Yeah, I agree. Definite red card. Thanks, Goody. And you've got a shout out to finish off with, don't you, Jim? I do. I've got a big shout out. My only shout out, and it's for the lads at St. Francis RFC who turned their season around after a slow start with six wins and a draw in their last eight games, including a 50 <clears throat> result. So, St. Francis, good on you, big fellas. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, producer Tristan. And thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to vote for us at sportspodcastawards.com. Check us out on eventbrite.co.uk if you fancy coming along to one of our live shows over the next couple of months in Cardiff, Manchester or Liverpool. And make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Rugby spot. Spotted pod, 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 pod. 